Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hello, everybody. today we are holding microphones but you're not going to hear any amplification from the microphone because we're recording a podcast so just don't think i don't know that you can't hear me do you know what i mean i feel like i feel like a child <coughs> wait there i just had a tato and <laughs> I, I, no would you believe it i went fancy worcester sauce do you know Look, sure, you're only in London once. You give it a go. <laughs> and uh, the crisp went to the back of the tooth and it stuck there for a while. I thought it was gone. Then, you know, it reared its head. There's a, there's a fair few teeth. Wait there, I'm going to wash my mouth out with a bit of coke. <laughs> oh, that, do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of being in a pub when I'm eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. And the crisps are sticking to my teeth and I'm like, oh, I better wash it down with a soft drink, do you know? <laughs> The Amazing Strike. Uh, I'll be hosting a Q&A. Just as well as that, at the end, we're going to l- let the audience ask some questions as well. So Rovin, Mike, will come to you. You'll be on uh, the Guilty Feminist podcast because it's going to go out on the Guilty Feminist podcast. Uh, which is So if you want to think of a question, you can ask. Um, save it, I'll come to you. and we'll, we're, It's just going to be a nice, intimate chat with some amazing people. Uh, not myself included now, because that sounded a bit un-Irish. Uh, but I'm allowed to say other people are amazing. Um, so let's do it. Let's get this party started. Um, and also, because it's a podcast, I am going to ask uh, uh, Tracy. Tracy Ryan, yourself. Do you know what? I didn't know it was you, but I knew it was you. You have. <laughs> she, she's an author. You wrote the play, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have. The, you have the top of a playwright. I have to say, you're looking. <laughs> do you know? You're looking great. You're looking great. But I just want you to know. I just don't want you to be going. Oh, she rehashed this over again. I am for the benefit of the listener. This is giving me... Look, I'm, I'm, I'm opening up the bonnet and I'm really showing you the innards here, you know, of how it's working. So let's pretend I didn't reassure you there before and we're just going to go... We're just going to lash in. Okay. Hello, 
Guilty Feminists and welcome to this very special episode coming to you from the Southwark Playhouse in London. I've only just learned how to pronounce Southwark as well. Is that how you say it? I kept going South. So- <gasps> I've been saying, I've been saying Southwark. Uh, <laughs> so, Southwark, yeah? Oh my gosh, because I was, okay, here we go again. But you know what? Keep it in. I deserve to have the listeners know uh, that I didn't know how to say Southwark. Uh, so, hello, Guilty Feminists, and welcome to the very special episode coming to you from Southwark Playhouse in London. Thank you. Uh, I'm Alison Spill, and I've just watched the incredible new play, Strike, which tells the story of shop assistants who refuse to handle South African goods in protest of the country's apartheid policies. With me to discuss the play is the author Tracy Ryan and three of the strikers that inspired the play, Mary Manning, Karen Gearan and Liz Deasy. Right, come on up, ladies. Beautiful. Um, So, Tracy, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, For the benefit of the listeners at home, could you give a quick synopsis of the play that we've seen today? Do you know what? Why do they say quick? Do whatever you like. You take your time. That's okay. (laughs) So, it begins, lights up. It's uh, (laughs) a... I suppose it's the story of the strike and uh, the story of these incredible group of young people who refused to handle South African goods back in 1984. And it starts off with, and I think you've said it yourselves, you kind of didn't really know what was going on and what was happening in South Africa, but decided to kind of piss off the bosses. And so went out on strike and then through the process got to know what was going on through Nimrod Sajaki and other activists that visited the line. And so I suppose the play is the story of a strike action and we take it from the beginning right to the end. And for this, it was such a long, a long journey for you all. So that's pretty much the story that we have. And we get to know the strikers. We get to know Nimrod Sajake, who was amazingly in exile in Dublin down the road. And also Brendan Archibald, who was a union organiser at the time. So it's their kind of connection and their journey. But I think it's really about this group of young people who refused to back down and just kept going against such big odds, really. Um, and it's an inspirational story of solidarity with people thousands of miles away, not for your own gain, but for something else. So that's the story, I think. Yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah. there you go. <laughs> and like uh, myself, I went to school in Ireland and in secondary school, you know, the strike is mentioned in, in the history books. Um, mostly, like, it, it is a kind of thing of, it teaches you a little bit about apartheid in South Africa. And it says, fun fact, uh, you know, uh, one of the first countries to uh, to do a boycott on uh, South African goods was Ireland. And it was because of these people. But I didn't know any more detail than that. Um, so I'd love to know, I'm going to start with Karen. Um, can I talk about the start of your relationship with unions and stuff? Like, wh- how old were you when this first, when you first joined a union? Actually, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Okay, I was um, 18 when I joined the union. Well, when I joined Don's, I joined the union. Um, I wasn't obviously the youngest, but um, after a while we became involved with the union and I became the shop steward with um, IDATO. Um, and what was your responsibilities as a shop steward with Well, IDATO? it was kind of a crap job. Nobody else wanted it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> because, um, I mean, the, the working conditions in Duns were really, really poor. The money might have been better than other shops, but the actual conditions were very poor. Uh, we were mainly women workers and young women workers. Yeah. Um, you know, we could only we you could only go to the toilet twice a day, and they were timed for eight minutes. 
Yeah, and where we worked, we worked in the basement and who then we... Who was timing that? The managers, the male managers were they timing were... it. Yeah, eight minutes and twice a day. And that didn't matter whether you were pregnant, whether you were, you know, a kidney infection or you had a period. It didn't matter. You just had those two toilet breaks and that was and it. And you had to go up five flights of stairs. And was that included in the timing? In the eight yeah. minutes. That, that is... was a sprint. Oh my God. Yeah. And if you were longer, yeah. a manager would come up to the toilet and knock on the toilet door to see what you were doing. Really? Yeah. 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 That's when I'd let off, you know? <laughs> we let off. Good. So, so, I mean, all of that was happening. The conditions were very poor. Um, your bag was searched going out. There was a lot of intimidation. There was a lot of sexual harassment going on. And you were like mo- mo- working class women. Ordinary working class women. It's interesting. Like I grew up in like a council estate and a lot of my friends that work within retailer or service industry jobs, um, they're treated quite badly. And it is because they're women. And I don't Mm. think there's a lot said about it. So it was amazing to see this play and to to Mm. meet you is an absolute honour. Like genuinely. So you were pissed off with this job. They were treating you like shit. The managers were wankers. Yeah. And <laughs> tell me about the time where you first got the letter. Yeah, we, we got uh, the letter. The strike started on the 19th of July and literally two days before that, we got the letter from the union uh, saying that they're asking all of their union members not to handle South African goods because of the apartheid system. Yeah. Now, the reason we kind of followed it, it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for us because we had tried to go in with meetings uh, with managers and the union. We had like 24 complaints on a list from jumpers, from our shoes, from the tights, from the coldness that we had to work on, from being stuck on the till all the time, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, so, so your dress code was being uh, Oh, controlled. the dress code, uh, totally. What was your union like about sexual harassment and stuff like that? Now, to be honest, in yeah. the 80s, sexual harassment didn't happen. It was just, Asher, that's the way it is, lads. You know? I, Asher, that's the way it is, lads, yeah. covers up a lot of it shit, does. to be it honest does. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would it be fair to say the union weren't really listening about the wider things? No, I don't think that's fair to say. Cool. It was. I think it was more the management style of Dunn Stores. Right. That they were the bosses. They yeah. were the guys in blue suits. They were the young fellas coming in telling some women that have been there for 10, 15 years what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And then younger women like us and particularly Liz, because she was the baby. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when we would be leaving the store, you know, they would go through your bags, which wouldn't be unnormal for shop workers. But if you had sanitary towels or tampons, the manager would pull them out and literally show them around and say, and embarrass you because back in the day, you know, you had to go to a chemist to get a sanitary towel. What? Yeah. yeah so they, they had it, you used to hand it to you in a brown paper yeah, bag. Yeah, in a brown paper bag. Like it was under the, under the counter. Under the counter. Like it was alcohol or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Why? So, and, then, and these, were, these were your bosses, yet they had the majority of someone who's never seen a tampon before. Like, <laughs> I had Derek, uh, well, I don't know why I'm naming him, but I had a fella in school do that to me when he was 15 and we all thought he was a prick. So imagine having that as your boss. Like, yeah. that's madness. And um, so you got the letter, you were sick of everything else yeah. and you thought, feck it, going to go on strike. Um, no, we didn't think we were going to go on strike. Oh, good, <laughs> okay. good, good. No, 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 no. Good. We got the letter and yeah. we all agreed that we weren't going to handle South African goods. 
we didn't know what was South African. So we went around the store looking for it. Yeah. And it was just literally, we never thought that they'd actually suspend anybody. We thought we'd do it for a couple of days. They'd forget about it or it didn't happen or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it just would be a non-event. But they reacted very strongly against us following this instruction. So they actually forced the situation. Because I suppose they weren't happy that they weren't controlling you. Yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> raging. I'm raging. So was it yourself? Was it Mary? Who You were the person that first refused to handle the goods? Well, in fairness, Michelle had been brought up the day before, I think, for doing the same thing. But they let her. They just ignored it then. And I just following on from the, the point, I think... Had they just ignored it and let us refuse to handle the goods, because at that stage we didn't know anything really about what was happening in South Africa, we wouldn't have kind of been, we wouldn't have had the commitment to carry it on. It was yeah. only through the strike that we, we actually stayed out so long. What was your knowledge? Like when you said you didn't know that much, like what was your knowledge? Well, we didn't of- even know how to say the word apartheid at the time. Like we, we were yeah. kind of, and even we probably would have heard of Nelson Mandela because at the time he was, yeah. that song, Free Nelson Mandela. Yeah. So we yeah. would have heard kind of a little bit, but... And as well as that, there was always also media. There was no media coming from South Africa. They weren't allowing much to be told from it. So no one really knew what was going on. We didn't know. Well, we certainly didn't know much about South Africa at the time. It was literally only from being on the picket line and through talking to, to Nimrod and uh, people like Nimrod, Maria Schoon, and finding out what actually was happening there that we got the commitment. And, and other than that, I, I always think that the, the longer the strike went on, it became so important to us as, as the strikers that it wasn't a policy anymore from the, from the union. It, that was only like, the policy would have been a piece of paper had we, we not carried it on. Yeah, so you escalated it in a way. With the, oh, yeah. That's, well, um, the problem was we were ordinary working class women that got yeah. educated. Yeah. You know, yes. that was the problem that was facing the trade union movement, the Irish government and other people around, that we were educated now. In, yeah. And one part of Tracy's play actually says, um, you know, when your eyes get open to injustice, you don't just look at what's happening in one country. You, ha- you look at your own country, you look at all the other. So we were developing. And I think it's really important for people to know none of us were political before yeah. this strike. Yeah. We weren't involved in any political parties. We weren't, you know, heavily involved in the trade union movement. You know, we none of us were. So, you know, it wasn't that, you know, somebody was setting their own agenda. Yeah. This was us as a group of workers. Just saying, this isn't on. This isn't on, you know. And it was because we were treated so badly in Duns that we reacted in the way. And because the management were so controlling, they reacted. Yeah. But then, as Mary said, it developed in so much more than that. And can you talk to me about, Liz, the day that it escalated? What were the bosses like? Well, for me, I see, I was only part-time. Right. So I was coming I was coming in at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay. So before I came in, these were up in the dressing room getting changed. And when I walked in, these were going out on strike. And you're like, okay. So I was going, (laughs) What's happening? And it was Karen had told me Mary's been suspended. Yeah. And like in the play, she said to me, you know, we're going out on strike. If you feel you want to join us, we'll be there tomorrow. And I went that night. Yeah, you were actually. <laughs> I remember it because it was very brief. I suppose. <laughs> oh, no, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I have to say, uh, she's been a great. Like, we would have voted you as top would steward. You? We would have. Oh, that's no, so we would have. She was definitely 
Definitely a great encouragement. And the play that Tracy's done showed yes. uh, Karen yeah. wherever she is. There you are. Yeah. 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 To a tea. Oh. This is Karen. <laughs> As we know and love Karen. Yeah. This is Karen. Amazing. It could be a little bit too Just nice really. for me. <laughs> for me, she, because I, I wasn't really, I was only in the door, so I didn't know any of these girls. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very well. I knew them as Miss Giron, Miss Manning, Miss Monroe, as with the way we were working. So I said to Karen, um, but I, I'm not going to stay here and watch you walk out. So I didn't have to change because I wasn't in my uniform. <laughs> so I said, I'm coming out with you. Yeah. So she was surprised. So out we went. And what was your relationship with like trade unions before? Or? Well, I didn't have much because I'd only literally gone from school to... Uh, to dance yeah so but my family my father was very uh, unionised and you're growing up you know if any picket line that you saw we never went past it that's great you know so it was inbred in me you never crossed a picket line so when Karen said she was going out I thought I can't go home and tell my father I'm still working (laughs) (laughs) he's all outside so I said no I'm coming with you and what's great uh, in the play, it shows that, uh, you know, the nice sunny days where, where you're out in a picket and everyone is having a lovely time. And then, of course, it's Ireland, so it's going to be a lot of rain. And uh, two years and nine months is such a long, long time. Um, we talk about uh, what it was like uh, to strike for that long. Like, what was it like for yourself, like, to strike that long? For me, like, you weren't thinking about the... the the far end of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Every week we thought, this is going to end soon. This is going to be much longer. Yeah. But like, okay, as it, as it progressed, we were starting to think, when is, how is this going to end? So that was becoming a bit scary. Like, what way is, is it going to end? Yeah. But I have to say, like even watching the play today, and I think the, the reason I was getting so emotional was because of our unity, because of yeah. our togetherness and the bond that we had we had formed as a group really brought it all back you know how important yeah these all are no it's great it's this fantastic to see collective action actually yeah. working and it's great to see working class people to be, be depicted in um, such a wonderful way and it's a yeah. true story and it really is and I remember I remember on the picket line saying seeing that poster of united we stand divided we fall yeah and when I when I think of how bonded we got, yeah, that really seeps through to me. Yeah, you know, if you're together, you can get through anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and I feel like uh, you know when you're in a union and you're fighting for something, I feel like there's like picking off people individually, and yeah. like, it's amazing that you stayed that strong, like all ten of you yeah. together. Um, like, I know that there was uh, there was a lot of striking, but there was also a lot of kind of media reach out. Karen, you were like maybe a bit front-facing, were you, for media? Like, how did that happen? I suppose it kind of just happened by accident more than anything else. Like yeah. myself, Mary and Catherine O'Reilly probably would have been the three kind of main spokespeople mm-hmm. for the strike. So we just started doing it and, and then we became kind of the names that people recognised so they'd go. And like we had no social media. I mean, when Mary was suspended, I had to run across to Roach's stores to make a phone call to ring the union 
to tell yeah. her that somebody was suspended. So, like, when... You, that's, a, that's a rival shop for listeners who are unaware <laughs> of the Doug's Roaches version. It was the posh version. It was posh, yeah. I wonder how it was to work was there, though. <laughs> Better than tons, I can tell you. Um, but, I mean, you know, so we didn't have a social media. So that's, even looking back now, you know, at the impact that we've had. Yeah. Like, we did all of that with no, without any social media. Yeah. It or was even, like... Sorry, and even when we went to South Africa. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, yeah. Had, we had no communication with the outside world. Oh, this whatsoever. is interesting. Because for the listeners at home, uh, so you went to South Africa we left with, Heathrow, during apartheid. Yeah, during apartheid in 1985. And you weren't welcome there. No. no. We tried to go. We went on a day trip to South Africa. You went on a day trip? <laughs> Two days, two days, three days. But just on the on the the like social media aspect of it and and the communications. When we went to when we were in London, we yeah. were told by British Airways that we weren't going to be getting into into South Africa because we needed a visa to go to South Africa, which you didn't at the time. And you, you wanted to go and have a look at the conditions yeah. of we what had, you we were had striking checked for in and everything. Yeah. And they had our suitcases and they and they come over and told us then, no, you're not going to go to South Africa because you don't have visa. So we. Stuck to our guns again, and we said, "No, we're going. Like we have a, we should be allowed to go." But I remember, I think a few of us did, went and phoned home and said, "Look, they're not letting us go. So I'll be home tomorrow. We're in London, and they're not letting us go out of London." And then they literally came and ran us down onto the plane. And we obviously no one had mobile phones or anything, so you couldn't contact home and say, well, "We're actually going to South Africa now." Yeah. So, but they, what they did was as well, they held us for three hours. They held the plane for three hours, but. They didn't know we had, there was journalists who had gone on the plane b- before we did. And the captain came on and told the people who were waiting on the plane that um, there's people who are refusing to board. So when we got on, we were all individually like put all around the plane. We weren't all sitting together. So and the, people were probably mad at you. Oh, yeah. So. We held the plane up for, for three yeah. years, they thought. like so. But the, no one knew. Until, and then the next thing that our parents and friends knew that was that we were in South Africa being held. So there was no kind of, no way of them finding out from us that we were okay or... So from a Monday um, at 10 o'clock on Monday evening from Heathrow Airport until Wednesday morning at 7.30 a.m., people weren't sure where we were and they weren't sure, you know, like what had happened to us. You know, were we going to be okay? Yeah. We were terrified over there. It was really, really scary because when we got off the plane... Because if a government are capable of apartheid, yeah. they, they, you know, yeah. they are, that is scary. Because we've heard human. so many stories of yeah. people and falling out of the station. The had yeah. only been implemented then when we went over. Over a few. Yeah, a they few. heard people were disappearing left, right and centre. Oh my gosh. So yeah. when we got put in that room, we were like, is this it? Are we ever going to mm. get on a plane and go home and see yeah. our family again? Yeah. No, that's incredibly But scary. when we arrived back in London, police came on to escort us to a press conference. The world media had had gathered in London. So, because you went for that scary experience, you probably wouldn't have had the attention of the media. Isn't it weird that you have to go through trauma in order to get yourself... The South African government kind of shot themselves in the foot by doing that because had we got in, there might have been some publicity, but not very much. But the fact that we were treated the way we were... It kind of highlighted, and people started to question them. Well, what's happening there that they don't want to see? Like, so yeah, it, they did us a favor in a, in a scary way. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was worried as to where we were, and no one had a clue. Yeah. yeah, like all our families and the press were all up all night wondering what, what was going to happen to us or what has happened to us, and trying to find out. And yeah. we found out afterwards. Alma had stayed at home, 
and uh, Gareth Fitzgerald, who was the Taoiseach, our Prime Minister yes. at the time, yes. he was doing some walk about near where Henry Street was and part of it was corned off, you know, yeah. with bar- she jumped the barricades to him <laughs> to see you get our friends back. That's amazing. Yeah, she did, yeah. She That's did. amazing. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And so he went, that's two years and nine months of going through this together. Yeah. Uh, then Dunn's stores tried to do a bit of a, bit of a trick. That was the second time yeah. that Dunn's tried to do it. The second time? Yeah, yeah the first time um, the what minister... What a shower of bats. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you can bleep you. that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the the Minister for Labour at the time was a guy called Rory Quinn and he got all the major supermarkets together yeah. to agree to a voluntary phasing out of South African goods. Right. And they did agree in the room, wherever the hell they were, that they were going to do it. But then Dunn's reneged on it. So that time we actually thought the strike was over. You know, Because you, you were only getting this at £21 yeah. uh, per now, week. Yeah, we were only a, a year and a bit on strike at this stage. Cool, right, okay, so we okay. hadn't got the full... But Dunn's reneged on that and that just fell down. And then the government out of pie in the sky found that prison labour was being used in South Africa. Now, prison labour has always been used in South Africa. But now they care about but it. But now yeah. they care yeah. about it. And yeah. that was their way of imposing the ban. Right. And then Dunn's tried to pull a fast one by importing the goods through a different country. That's amazing. The ways that people will work, try and work around not being sound. You know, <laughs> then rather. But sure, they've nothing else to do except yeah. count their money. But I think, yeah. but I think it's working class people standing up for themselves, and they didn't yeah. like that. And not, uh, that's my own and opinion. And the, they weren't that. the only ones that didn't like that. Yeah, there were yeah. lots of people, not only in Ireland, didn't like the fact that we were ordinary working class people. Oh, that tell were me making more. a huge difference yeah. in it and raising a profile. I mean, the Irish anti-apartheid movement was—they only had two, um, we say, committees. Yeah. or two, two support groups, one in Cork and one in Dublin, when we started the strike. When we finished the strike, we had, there was more than 30 Dunn stores support groups around the country in, in all the 36 counties, there was, or 32 yeah. counties. I around. wasn't going to correct you. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, Jesus, 26, 32, 32 yeah. counties. Um, and they all turned into anti-apartheid movement supporters after right. our strike. You know, so, you know, we were there, we were ordinary, we were working class, we were on the street and we actually, like we made, when I see the play now, it's like, we're sitting back and saying, was that really us? Yeah, you're watching Did we people do that? play ye. Yeah. yeah, it's Are very you, strange. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Do you watch it and go, I didn't say that. Or like, <laughs> I don't mean it in a... <laughs> No. <laughs> for, me, I, for me, I think it's like, you know, like you never, we never realised... When you're in it. Yeah. And then when you're sitting outside looking in, it's like, wow. Wow. Yeah. We did that. Mm. You know? We did that. You are in history books. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And like, do you as a ten, do you meet up regularly? We, we, we try to. Yeah. Like, we try to yeah. meet up. Yeah. To, at least, you know, every year or, you know, something like that. But COVID put a paid to yeah. lots yeah, of things. Lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, we do keep in touch. And it's coming up to 40 years <laughs> since the... Karen didn't hear that. I think I say was. I still am Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I try to ignore that now. 
But, uh, you know, it's a big anniversary next year. Yeah. And uh, that's is, why we have to get this over here. But this is it. This is it. So is there any plans in Ireland uh, to mark this occasion? It's like Ireland in world history. And it's, I think, uh, like a wonderful thing. Uh, do, you know, do you know if there's any plans next year to mark uh, this, this event? There will be. There will be something to mark it. We haven't yeah. worked out the details yet. Um, I'm working with uh, Dave Gibney. Uh, yeah. from mandate on that. I would love this to really get into the schools so yeah. that people realise mm. and young people realise that you can make a difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, if you look yeah. at what's happening now, in the, like particularly in the world in the last year and a half, two years, the rise of the right is just shocking. Yes. Like it's right. anti, like it's racist, it's transgender, it's women. It's, it's anti-transgender. Yeah. Anti, no, anti, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that rise is just really, really shocking. And people need to, like when you're talking to kids and, and young people, they think that they can't do anything. Yeah. Because they don't have the power to do it. Because we're being told we can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. And, and, and because the media is telling us we can't do anything. And, yeah. you know, everybody is, you know... All that, but if if young people get to realise that you can actually make a difference, and when you look at us, you know, around we made a difference in yeah. a, a time where there was no social media, there was you know like our lives were sort of you know you went to school, you left school, you got a job, college yeah. didn't come into it, yeah. you know yeah. we didn't that wasn't in our psyche, yeah, you know because we were ordinary working class people, yeah, but I think if this Things like our strike, the minor strike, the women in Deb or um, Debenhams and Debenhams workers in four oh six. Have you seen the documentary? It's very good. We will recommend that for listeners at home. Four oh six. Four oh six. Yeah, it's really really good documentary, and they've they've actually shown that documentary around Ireland. Yeah, um, and I think they're coming to Liverpool with it. Oh, is it Liverpool? Irish I think it is. Uh, festival, yeah, I yeah. think it is. Um, but like, look at them. Like I was on the picket line a lot in Debenhams um, down in Tralee and there was a sort of the, the year anniversary of, of the Debenhams strike. People well, what they did dry. was the UK Debenhams uh, pulled their shops from yeah. Ireland and then they took all of the stock, all of the money from Ireland and put it um, into the UK and yeah. just closed the shops. Well, when there was like... Wasn't it kind of a bit forceful as well? Like there were people protesting and towards then there was the violence end of it. towards yeah. the protesters. Yeah. towards the end. Uh, which is just very interesting. Like there's a housing crisis in Ireland at the yeah. moment, not to bring everything into it. But I do feel like as one individual, it feels very scary and hard because larger companies and people that uh, are into capitalism, they seem to have support of like the guards and stuff not to be mm. I'm, I'm gonna try and rein myself in a bit and shut up <laughs> but it just I'm just I was watching the play and I was filling up a rage because this is in the 80s and yet so many of the same problems classism everything is still happening now mm. and you, you did something amazing and changed something like for for the good of the world but it feels like a lot to be going against I'd love to get off you a piece of advice do you know what, for me, because I feel like shit at the moment, but like, like how, how did you keep going during the strike and how do you keep going now as people? Because of the bond we have with yeah, each other. The we, we kept yeah. each other going. Yeah. yeah. Like um, if someone was, I mean, there was days when people were not feeling good or feeling down or feeling kind of, I suppose, help, helpless and hopeless, I suppose, during the day. Like someone would notice and we'd bring them off, like someone would go for a cup of tea with them or yeah. just to try and kind of, 
boost up the morale a little bit. It was kind of keep, trying to keep the morale up. You didn't want to see someone falling down. Like, that's what it was. And we all supported each other. And it was true support for each other that we got through it. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to... Put, a, put the microphone out to the audience now and get some questions for you. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry for making it about me at the end. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyone got any questions here? Oh, fantastic. My name's Annie Power. Um, I just wanted to say what an honour it is to meet some of the original strikers and how brilliant these young actors all have been in this production. Absolutely <laughs> gobsmacked. Um, I don't want to talk too long because there are lots of other people. I have a million questions. But one of the things I wanted to say, that you are also standing on the shoulders of giants and giant women, and I'm still in a teacher's union. I'm a retired teacher. Um, I'm 73. I'm still active, very active in the union. One of the problems we've had over the years is um, the diminishing membership of younger members, and certainly in my borough in Harringay, it's risen, helped by having a a fascist government, basically, um, and people are being pinched and they're, they're learning that. So totally agree with Karen, it's getting the young on board. And you are living proof of this. And this production, these, this writer and these young people coming up, it just gives me faith. But I wanted to mention a woman called Louise Raw, who we invited to our union. Now, I'd never heard of her. I knew almost nothing about the Match Girls strike in this country, because our history of working class women is hidden. So Louise Raw is a writer, working class woman writer, and what she did was she looked into the match girls strike, Bryant and May, and um, Annie Besant, who is a socialist, middle class activist, and a, and a great woman, got the credit for the strike. And that's how history was written up. But what I never knew was the first striker and the women who rose up were working class women. And in the East End of London, there was a very strong community of Irish women. Yeah. And they were involved, two or three, I believe, Irish women from very, very activist, you know, strong-minded Irish people involved totally written out of history um so i just recommend that book to anyone who hasn't read it of course the critic said oh it's not very well written but she researched it for years um you can look her up louise raw r-a-w so i just wanted to say that was 1888 in the east end of london and you know what you did later is carrying on that wonderful torch thank you Will I, will I let it go to another question? Or would you, yeah, is that, that was amazing, Annie. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, 
this is this amazing coincidence. Uh, I don't know this lady, but I actually and my colleague here represent the Match Girls Memorial. Oh. <laughs> we do. Oh, yes. For the listeners and, at home, uh, they're sitting I beside you. Say, <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you if, if you, any of your Irish heritage might have been involved in the 1888 strike at, down in Bow. Because I don't what, know. <laughs> but if you've got a couple of hours to spare, I can give you quite a talk, and we could do quite a talk on the match girls. I've got, I've got an actual question. Oh, yeah. we, we, we have an actual question. I should probably say Frank McGuinness wrote a play about the match girls. Yeah. Frank oh, yeah? McGuinness, yeah. So there's a play by Frank McGuinness, Irish writer, about the match girls. Yeah. Frank, Frank McGuinness? Frank McGuinness. Frank McGuinness. So, yeah, fantastic play, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, look, you're swapping cards. I love it. <laughs> so the question. My actual question, which is kind of coming on from the Match Girls and their experience, because part of why they won was their, they virtually invented strike pay. So they gathered money in off um, various supporters and kept a book. So they were divvying out as close as possible to what the girls regularly earned. And I just wondered how, once your strike pay ran out, what you did to get by? That is a great question. The strike pay didn't run out. It continued for the two years, nine months. So it didn't actually run out. No. If you hadn't lifted the picket. If we hadn't lifted the picket. It would have been. It would have been. Um, But we would have got, um, you know, when the miners came over to do a collection in Dublin, they actually would have given us a few bob. To oh, keep yes. going and stuff Good. like that. So there was a lot of that sort of support. Solidarity. Yeah, yeah. those people made yeah. collections for us and yeah. stuff. But yeah. <laughs> but had we not lifted the picket off Dunstores and Henry Street and went to the Dáil, which is our parliament buildings, we would have lost uh, the, the strike pay. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> um, let's get another question in. Great performances, great production. Privileged to be here and well done, well done, everyone. Yeah, my question is. is about the relationship between yourselves and Nimrod. How did you first meet Nimrod? How did the very trusting uh, relationship that was clearly apparent from the play develop? He came down to the picket line, I think, introduced originally by Labour Youth. Yeah. Person. He came down and he had they had contact with him when he was in Harrow's Cross in the, the um, hostel. We get and a bit of background of who Nimrod is before. Is that all right? Like just for the listeners at home. Yeah, he was an ANC. He was exiled in Ireland for the for twenty. Well, not in Ireland. He was exiled for the past twenty one years. I think it was. He had been in Russia and in different. As I said in the play, um, he had been in Ireland. I think only a year. I think or less than that. Even yeah, it's, it's, he's. I think four years at that point. Was he yeah, at that stage? Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, but he, how the the reason why he came so close to him I suppose was that he taught us so much Um, like he wasn't someone who came down to the picket line and said kind of preached at us and he day by day he just spoke to us about what was happening in South Africa and and it became kind of like we were so interested to hear what he was saying and it became like a personal thing for us so it was through him just kind of educating us I suppose that was that was one of the the big reasons why we, we all became so close to him and we didn't learn a lot about Nimrod at the beginning. He was very, very private. You know, we didn't learn about his We didn't know for a long time that he'd been in prison with Nelson Mandela. He never told us that for a long time. 
Wow, that's something to keep back, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd be. Yeah. If I was the prisoner of Nelson Mandela, I'd be opening up. Hello, I was the prisoner of Nelson Mandela. Yes, that's what we would be your way yeah. in, yeah. wouldn't it? I'm a Gemini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the type of man they were about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, you know, and like Labour Youth, which was um, predominantly the militant tendency within the Labour Party at the time, now Socialist Party in Ireland. Um, so he would have been part of that uh, organisation, Socialist. And because of his commitment of what he was doing, the trust was there. And he, like, he was a really, really, really good man. Yeah. You know, um, I think for me, um, and I know for a lot of us, the hardest thing was when we met his family mm. over in South Africa mm. when we were at Mandela's mm. funeral. And we never realised what they gave up for him you know, and what he gave up for the cause. Because one of his daughters, Daphne, she's always in my head. Mm. She was really, really upset and angry that he had left them in this place. Mm. And when you see somebody like Nimrod and such an amazing person and gave up his whole life for the struggle, you don't see what was left behind and what was given up for that struggle. No, but the the play is amazing. The play is... Fantastic. Ye are amazing. Um, we're gonna can I just say like a huge, yes. huge thank you to Tracy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> Tracy heard this story in 2009, yep. 2009, and was the first, first ever person to take on the story. I can't believe yeah. that it was 2009 yeah. that someone thought this is yeah. an interesting yeah. story. Like, Tracy... But I'm going to finish up, but I, you know, I realised that I've been chatting away and uh, I, want, I want to hear you for a second. Like, how did you first hear about this story? Well, I actually heard Mary on the radio. Um, she, you'd been kind of hoodwinked to go on the radio and Ben oh, Dunn yeah. was trying to apologise to me. It was on Liveline, Joe Duffy's yes. Liveline. Oh, if, if Very famous radio show. No. Yeah. <laughs> Never. Really? Yeah. Because uh, for listeners at home that are not from Ireland... Uh, the Late Late Show and uh, Liveline are both programs that kind of like, they're almost like a time capsule. You could see social change happen. It's very long running shows. And it was very interesting to hear that you weren't asked on the Late Late as the Dunstores workers. Like you were on the Late Late, but not under that uh, umbrella. Like how did you get on the Late Late? Well, myself and Luca Bloom, who is Christy Moore's brother, who yeah. is an artist in his own right, we were invited on to be in the audience because they were talking about um, artists uh, not, uh, not going into South Africa. You know, okay. uh, there was a UN uh, kind of... It was a cultural uh, cultural yeah. boycott of South Africa. And what, an Irish band, I don't even want to... Or, we don't uh, have to thank God, yeah. because I can't <laughs> stomach them. But uh, anyway, Foster and Alan... Who broke <laughs> culture about Foster and Allen? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Foster they and Allen broke the, the culture. The people who dressed up as leprechauns yeah. on, the, on top of the pops. Yeah. I can't believe they broke they a broke, cultural boycott. They did. They <laughs> absolutely did. So They're there local you go. to me as well. Well, I'm there you, you know. go. Uh, but so, anyway, yeah. there was a discussion on that, and myself and Luca Bloom were on in the audience as part of that discussion, and we were you know, saying about the boycott and all that. But interestingly enough, the Dunstore Strikers are on the backing single with Bono and U2, Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Oh, nice. So you got, you got to meet Bono? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we What's did. he like? Lovely. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, uh, Tracy, I've just seen the play today. How long is this play running until? This so it's going to run till the sixth of May. Sixth so of May. The alternative coronation is to come here on the sixth of May. Oh, that would be amazing. That would, seriously, if you're not interested in uh, her, 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 the royals and you're interested in working class people making a change. Come on, sixth of May. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so we'll run till sixth of May. But like I say, Arden already making connections in Ireland because we'd love to bring it to Ireland for the fortieth anniversary. Mm, I yeah, think yeah. it has, it has to, to come to Ireland. Yeah. We have yeah. to make that work. Uh, fantastic. Um, I'm going to go for each one of you, and if you've anything to say that you feel that you haven't said yet. Uh, now is your time. Uh, so Tracy, is there anything you'd like to add? Just that I cry at the end of the, every time I see the play. <laughs> I heard and you I'm cry. Like, yeah, and I, it's because, <laughs> because it's just so inspiring what you did together, all together. And it just shows you when there's a group of people, you can't be broken, like Nimrod says, yeah. the hands together cannot be broken. Yeah. And the actors yeah. are amazing. Yeah, the stage it is incredible. Yeah, and it's, Alison, I must thank Arden because I couldn't get it on again in Ireland. We did it in 2010. We just couldn't get the funding because it was such a big cast. But Arden took it on in 2015, and they have worked solidly to raise the money to get it on. And I with think an there should be, we should raise well. the funds to get it in Ireland next Absolutely, year because it would be yeah. disgusting if it isn't yeah. Uh, yeah. seen that year. Yeah. Um, Mary, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, no, just I mean again, I think the actors in the in the play were fantastic. Like it was just it brought such emotion to us. I think looking at the the play, and so you did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Karen, I want to take thank Tracy for taking this journey yeah. with us. Um, I think Ardent, Mark, and Andrew, you're just incredible people, and you're really, really, really lovely to work with. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that, you know, you really are. You make things very easy for us. Um, the actors, you know, I mean, you were just incredible. But none of this would happen if it wasn't for the group of strikers and the friendship that we have. So yeah. I want to thank the strikers for Aww. our friendship. Liz, my love, is there anything you'd like to They're say? Crying. I know, you're making me <laughs> cry, I don't even know you. I'm like, ah! I have to say, I, I, all of the actors were amazing. Yeah. And it really depicted every one of us. You know, yeah. when, when I was listening to Mary or Karen or Bonnie or whoever, I, I relate on me. Me particularly, <laughs> you are brilliant. You were brilliant. Absolutely you were brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> it was, it was uh, exactly... Because uh, yeah. I, I kept turning around, that's exactly what you would have said. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what you And you would have said it exactly that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to all of them. Yeah. yeah so it yeah. was like, it was, it was just great for us to relive it. Yeah. And to see it, to sit back and watch us. Do you know what I mean? Because we didn't know exactly what it was like until you sit back and you see it and you think, yeah, wow. It's a story of like you're an amazing bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, no, but it is. Yeah. I have to say, it, it really brought out a lot of emotion. Yeah. No, and I don't think I'm watching it again because I'll be just no, an yeah. emotional wreck <laughs> no. by the time I go home. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, it's, 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 Can they yeah. say, like, if anybody's listening to this and they feel they don't have a way of changing things, you do. Because it yeah. literally just started with a small little group in yeah. Ireland and it developed into the. So people. Things can change. And people were telling together. you that you couldn't change yeah. anything. Yeah. 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 yeah, And we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, no. Um, that was brilliant, that was brilliant. Okay. Uh, Tracy Ryan, uh, Mary Manning, Karen Gearin, and Liz DC, everybody.
Amazing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.